Hi listeners and welcome to another footnote episode of the Fantasy Animation Podcast. I'm Alex Sargent. And I'm a hyper-real Chris Holiday. My God, Chris. Um, I don't know what that means, but in 10 <laughs> minutes I will find out. So, hyper-realism. Um, this is a term we've used on the podcast quite a few times, often yeah. in relationship to the Disney studio. Yeah. We haven't really done realism yet. No. So, in a way, to start off with... Can you kind of give us a definition of both? What do we mean by hyper-realism, and why is that slightly different from just what we might mean by realism? Well, I well, that's a biggie. Um, I, I know realism. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was yeah. always I was always taught that realism. The definition of realism is a, is a set of conventions that changes over time. Um, as in realism is something that, that is kind of quite abstract and, and when we talk about realism, certainly with animation context, that because of animation's rhetorical enunciative um, kind of qualities, animation is often about realism because it's committing to an idea of what we think of as realistic. So when we encounter hyper-realistic painting, yeah. we're often thinking about painting that is absolutely realistic in the way that it matches up with our experience but crucially the 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 images that we see it matches up with our experience of the real world and the kinds of images that we see but realism and animation is it can be tonal you know the simpsons the characters don't look realistic but the situations the content the relationships is is realistic um and you mentioned at the start kind of disney hyper realism which is where i sort of settle with hyper realism um a, a way in which realism is constructed as an effect right. within animation. So a lot of writing on realism and animation is that re reality is an effect. This is constructed by pristine digital images, computer animation, or drawings, or something. So I don't know. Maybe uh, to correct me if I'm wrong, but to, to, for the purpose of this discussion, yes. would it be fair to say that if realism is is when art or anything achieves a quality that we might go, oh, that seems real? Well, that looks real, whether yeah. that be a realistic conversation that happens on The Simpsons or a painting that seems to look like a photograph because it's drawn in such a way as to make it seem real. Yeah. But hyper-realism is, is almost when that's used as a moment of spectacle yeah. or a moment of, of visual pleasure, that it's pleasurable. That, you know, where's the hyper in the realism? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I suppose there is a difference between how animation studies would use the term hyper-realism, which is very connected to... Um, very connected to the Disney studio. Okay, um, which we'll, we can come on to why. Which we'll come on yeah. to that. Uh, but hyperrealism, as itself, uh, a genre, a style, an approach within painting, within sculpture, is actually used almost as an intensification of photorealism, which is another footnote that depending on the ordering will either be just before this or just after this. Um, so I'll talk about photorealism then, but hyperrealism is normally considered to be an intensification of photorealism. by creating um, a painting or a sculpture that is hyper-realistic to the point where there's an uncanny effect where you think, is this actually, is this sculpture or painting uh, something else. So is this painting actually a photograph? So you have these yeah, these hyper-realistic okay. paintings that are intended to look like photographs. To so, me, that would be quite close to photorealism. But, right. but not, Let's get onto that in another yeah, footnote. Yeah. So hyper-realism. Hyper realism is, okay, that looks relatively that, yeah, uh, relatively uh, Someone paints authentic. a picture of a, of a tree and you go, yeah, that looks like a tree. That has a quality of realism. Qu a quality of resemblance whereby there's enough in the image to sort of go, yep, yeah, that, that reads as authentic or realistic. And hyper-realism be, wow, that really looks like a... God, is that a tree out there? No, it's not a window, it's a painting. Let's yeah. do it, okay. 
Okay, so what? why specifically is this used in relationship to the Disney studio then? Talk me through that. <clears throat> well, the Disney studio, and we've done a previous footnote on plasmaticness, that, that hyperrealism is, is an aesthetic category, but it's also... Like plasmaticness, a political category and aesthetic. It's a political, aesthetic, historical, um, and technological. So um, historically, hyperrealism is a phase that that sort of comes. I would say comes after plasmaticness, but the break between those two eras is not necessarily clean. It's the uh, moment where Disney makes quote unquote realistic and authentic and believable looking cartoons across feature length, as well as some of the earlier silly symphonies, where the plasmatic right. fluency, flexibility of bodies, is tempered somewhat by a realistic register that approximates um, the kind of codes and conventions of live action cinema. So Paul Wells, in his book Understanding Animation, talks about the principles of hyperrealism that with every technological development, Disney kind of coerced animation into what he calls a ne actually calls a neo-realistic practice. So after this period of kind of chaotic plasmaticness and bodies that resemble rubber hoses and and fluid bodies and and um, bodies that seem to have no fixed form, actually we get a, a, a series of, of movies, and Chris Pallant calls this period Disney formalism, where Disney honed its principles in illusionist representation and coerced the animated form into kind of a live action-y style whereby sound is realistic, i.e. the sound that, that footsteps make in the real world are the sound and the volume that footsteps make in an animated... So there's a kind of parallel in terms of the movement of the body, physical laws and gravity, sound. These are all, not realism, they're hyper-realism because animation can never obtain absolute realism because that would be absurd. So hyper-realism is almost a term that's used um, to talk about how Disney technologically, aesthetically, formally, um, and I think, yeah, kind of politically, the kind of political radicalism of plasmaticness has been seen to be kind of tempered and reduced by hyperrealism as a really standard uh, you know, realism is often in animation seen as the path of least resistance. Yeah, we could be experimental and creative and abstract and avant-garde, but actually Disney critiques are often at the, the the charges leveled at realism that the studio and the man did to animation when it could have gone down the experimental visual music route of across Europe. Actually, what it did is that it kind of made Snow White look a lot like a live action for movie in terms of shot arrangement right. and so hyperrealism is about animation's ability to be almost about realism it's about physical laws it's about sound and movement of the body and, and wells kind of defines hyperrealism according to these principles to sort of partition off some of that earlier plasmatic flexibility and chaos of disney animation um uses it to then say, well, actually, no, this is the period and this is why palant calls it disney formalism this is the moment where disney honed its craft and created classical principles of illusionist composition, perspective and space, and um, things that are reading as authentic and realistic as we would understand it. So is this a term that's being applied <clears throat> to the Disney studio retrospectively, or is this a term that the studio itself is using? So as with so many things, same with you know, plasmaticness, it's, it's not a term that exists in the industry. These are not, okay. these are not animators say they're not saying we need to make this the 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 whatever the character in pinocchio more plasmatic it's a it's it's a it's not a term it's not a term that exists in in the industry it's a term that exists in criticism and the spectator but there is a sense when when you're talking about that move to snow white there is a sense that they are aware <clears throat> that they're doing something aesthetically realist or they're looking to make 
Snow White look real, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so the 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 uh, rather than hyper realism, what we need to do, I think, is think about um, uh, Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston's book, The Illusion of Life, which is kind of been mythologized in some senses. And when we've had conversations with Disney directors and stuff, they're like, yeah, we, we don't really use the things that critics think we use. But there is this book um, from 80, the early 80s, from two of the nine old men um, animators, because um, there are gendered questions around labor at Disney in this time. But anyway, um, so The Illusion of Life, Disney Animation, which is essentially a manual um, that gives both a history of Disney Animation but explains the processes by which, or a kind of production philosophy, um, a guidebook in how to replicate the 12 basic principles of animation which relate to character movement, things like squash, squash and stretch, secondary motion. So if I throw a ball with my right arm, my left arm doesn't just sit there benignly, it, it does something. And all of these sort of aesthetic graphic principles um, are contained in this book that show us and tell us how Disney animators thought about their cartoons. So they didn't use the term hyperrealism as an industry label that was being passed around from different departments, from story to costume or whatever it is. But there is a sense in which the 12 principles of animation that are very famously... Um, introduced by Johnson and, and Thomas in the early 80s were the principles that the Disney animators were working to, a set of specifications that they were working to within the studio at the time. Interesting. So, but even that's a retrospective looking back from them rather than a kind of... Uh self-conscious awareness at the time that they were doing anything different. Yeah, it's funny because all the stuff on the book is, and the, the, the books kind of says that this is, the principles are based on the work of Disney animators from the 1930s um, and the contributions that these nine old men, Disney's nine old men, um, that include uh, Johnston and, and Thomas, but also eminent people like uh, Wolfgang Reitherman, Ward Kimball, um, Milt Carl, uh, Eric Larson, so they work on both short films and, and feature films, uh, and they kind of constitute the animation department at this particular in this particular period from the 30s up to the kind of 50s. Um, uh, and a brief little history tells me that Larson was the last to retire after his role on The Great Mouse Detective. So it kind of accounts for a 50-year period between the 30s and the 50s. So the book itself is retrospective. So there is a sense that this um, book is a kind of Bible of animation studies, or at least um, a, a production that is built from the contribution of, of people that were working in Disney in the, in the 20s, but mostly the 30s, across uh, short and feature-length films. Um, and they were kind of guiding the illusionist properties of character and of background and of setting and perspective and all this sort of stuff. So you can read up about the the illusion of life, but it, it the illusion of life and the, and the, the principles of animation are really about... Um, I think character movement and timing and more more related to the body um, informed by physical laws and gravity and stuff like this. And right, I would yeah. ask you at this point normally for a reading, but we're about short of time and you've I'm kind just of given it. Yeah, yeah. It. So let's so to finish off, let me see if I can now explain. When you said to me about ten minutes ago that you were feeling hyper real, what you meant to say was that you were using a label to describe a term that implied that you not only felt. Uh, connected to the real, but intensely 
uh, commenting on, engaging with the reel that partially derives from a process yeah. that Disney went through in the 1930s when they moved from the kind of wacky slapstick of Mickey Mouse to the real, the, the supposed realism of Snow White. Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. well, I've got more questions about what that means about your mood, but for now, we'll call <laughs> that a day. Um, thanks, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Bye.